live from Tel Aviv, two nice Jewish boys. We often say that Startup Nation is not made only of technology companies. In recent years, the TV industry has become an export field of itself, as numerous TV shows and documentaries are being sold to American TV channels. Gili Dolev had only three things a little less than 10 years ago. Tremendous talent and animation, a concept, and a dream. A dream to create a children's animation show. From there, an amazing journey has led him to where he is today, having directed two seasons of his show Zack and Quack for Nickelodeon. Gili is here with us today to talk about his journey towards working in the international industry of animated television. This podcast is made in cooperation with the Jewish Journal, www.jewishjournal.com. Also in cooperation with Secret Tel Aviv, Israel's largest online social network community in English. Just look for the group on Facebook or visit them at secrettelaviv.com. Subscribe to Two Nice Jewish Boys on iTunes. And if you like the podcast, don't forget to rate us. And of course, we want to hear your feedback. So let us know what you think in the comments or send us a message on Facebook. How are you? <laughs> Very well. Good to be here. Thank you so it's, much for joining us. I'm so excited because it's the debut of English accent on our podcast. It is. It really is. Well, how do you feel about it? Sort though? of English accents, like fake English accents. As is English it? as it gets. Well. As English as we've gotten, at least. Yeah. For us, it's like Downtown Abbey. Yeah, all over again. We did, um, we, I mean, we'll get Boris Johnson one day, <laughs> and then we'll like you know finally officially check it off. Oh, God, but until I, then, you're our British accent. That's fair enough. You need Brian Blessed to do uh, a little bit. <laughs> you can take it from there. Can you do my cocaine? Oh, never mind. Um, so, Gilly, what was your first animation? The first animation you ever made? Wow. Um, I started animating when I was ten years old because um the My art teacher at school, just like primary school, came into class one day and asked all the kids if they wanted to do animation. And me and a friend of mine sort of, you know, raised our hands and went like, yes, we'd like to do animation. And we found ourselves, oh, well, we didn't know what we were committing to because, you know, all we knew about animation is watching Walt Disney on, you know, occasionally in the cinema. And... Like, so we had no idea. And we found ourselves working with him every Saturday at his house. He was like an extremely dedicated teacher and I'm still sort of in touch with him. Um, and he didn't know much about animation, um, but he really wanted to learn it. And his way as a teacher of learning it was by doing it with pupils like us. So we started working with plasticine and making animation. And we worked on um, a plasticine guy bouncing a ball for a few i think we created the sets and created the model and the ball and everything for a few months and then we shot it on like super 8 camera on film uh-huh like stop motion stop motion exactly uh-huh. but what year are we talking about we are talking about uh nine eighty nineteen i think four here six. in israel here in israel yeah which in- is amazing because who did animation here like Only nobody yeah. nobody yeah and especially that, not stop stop animation stop motion there was nothing I mean we really reinvented the wheel with like as many mistakes as you can imagine it was like a square wheel and then we made a triangular one it was like full of mistakes but we created something that was like charmingly naive for 10 year olds and an older guy is kind of mm-hmm. learning it for the first time but it gave us a lot of freedom it wasn't like the kind of people you know person who tries to like do it like this do it like that well he didn't know much about it himself fair enough yes saying. it yeah. did yeah <laughs> so that's amazing that is amazing but it's, it's also that sense of exploration and uh-huh. finding something out you know from scratch was like really incredible and you know testament of that is like we turned up every Saturday morning to do that for a full day I hardly no. turned up every morning for school. Well. So, I mean, that's, that's amazing. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> Animation hooked me up from an early age, and I'm screwed ever since. But um, <laughs> <laughs> Were you the studious type already, or was this just the thing that caught you and, like, you stuck with it? it, it, I, it yeah, it, caught, it was specifically animation, not uh-huh. everything else. It's, isn't it amazing how one teacher can change your life so profoundly? 
I think like it's, that's a beautiful statement. It's exactly what it is. And my dad is a teacher for um, I don't, 40, 50 years now. I don't like a long, long time. Um, I like the right teacher. Mm-hmm. So I'm very aware of teaching and teaching impact. But this guy totally put my life on a certain course that I've followed, you know, to this day and continue to follow. Um, it is incredible. And that's why I'm in touch with him and I'll forever be grateful to him and what he gave me. And that friend of mine, mm-hmm. together we continued to do animation with him until we basically graduated high school and joined the army. My wow. friend became, yeah, became an architect and then like a city planner and now he's kind of like a big, you know, kind of, he does like much bigger stuff with more money than I do. I kind of stuck with animation, but definitely <laughs> the stuff we learned doing with him mm-hmm. and kind of the bigger the projects kind of got over the years certainly put us on a certain course. So, I mean, this guy, Jonathan Pigovsky is called, like, amazing. So what was the short, uh, the animation uh, thing about? Um, what and was and the it story? Was a little guy, I think, do you know what, from what I remember, um, he was a little guy bouncing a ball and the problem was when you shot on Super 8 back then, you couldn't develop the film in Israel. So you had to send it to, <laughs> to Holland. Hungary. Oh, to Hungary. Well, nearly. Yeah. Um, and in the Netherlands, it got developed and you got it back like about four or five months later. This one came out okay. So you could actually project it and watch it all crackly and, you know, uh-huh. um, no sound, no nothing. Just like a guy bouncing a ball for like 30 seconds. You worked on <laughs> it for six months and that's the reward. That, that was what, what it was? Just a guy bouncing a ball? <laughs> Literally. I think he got knocked <laughs> over by the ball. Maybe someone else catching it, throwing it in his nice. face. You know, today you could have showed it in the MoMA. Uh, well, yeah. P- yeah, probably. People would yeah. have loved it. Would have, <laughs> they would have Whoa. found all sorts of meanings <laughs> in it. And, probably. Yeah. Would have gone were... down in the ages. <laughs> Probably there was very little meaning there. Um, <laughs> but we continued working like that. And I think the, you know, um, when you develop stuff overseas and you don't control the medium, you work for a year and then it comes back overexposed. And basically you see just like white, bleached out, white picture, no mm. result whatsoever. And so that was my childhood uh, <laughs> until technology got a little better and we started working on video. Yeah. So what, uh, after, you know, you finished school and you, I mean, you continued working on animation throughout mm. your education? I did. I mean, we, we sort of, as an extra curriculum stuff, we worked on various projects that got sort of bigger with time. And we always did like end of the year animation film. We're talking high school? Or? We're talking high school. Okay. We kind of from about uh, eighth grade or maybe ninth, I think it was, we um, used a lot of other kids who sort of showed interest to help us sort of paint in all the different cells. Back then you worked on celluloid, so it was like painting cells. Um, we created stories about like high school and we had like a lot of kids working on it mm-hmm. over the year. And then we showed it at, you know, the kind of the end of the year party. Mm. Just as an independent initiative. A completely independent initiative when we were like 14, 15. Then we worked on something bigger uh, from 16 to 17, I think uh, we were, like, which was like a big project. Um, I'm from Khadera originally. Um, Condolences. Thank you. I know. It's like the armpit of everything. And, um, it's, the New Jersey of Israel. <laughs> I wish it was the New Jersey of Israel. It's more like, I don't want the to Detroit. Slide it's like, like Albuquerque of Israel. Albuquerque of Israel. Don't know Albuquerque, but it sounds about right. <laughs> Um, so this is still you and your friend me and my friend okay. but and this guy obviously the teacher yeah. um but so Khadera was celebrating its uh 100th anniversary at the time <laughs> mm-hmm. obviously that rewarded a big film about uh you know kind of the settlement and like all the people coming in and uh-huh. trying out the swamps and whatever they ordered it from you or um, they were dead, you know, by then. No, I'm joking. I mean, <laughs> the pioneers were all gone by then. No, but, no, um, yeah. Yeah, no, but t- no, the city didn't. But this teacher uh-huh. who had like, you know, he had a mind for like, let's do big new things uh, okay. and get like fine, you know, funds. From an entrepreneur. He was an entrepreneur. Um, a very poor one, did you say, <laughs> but an, an entrepreneur nonetheless. And he basically kind of proposed the idea, I think, to the mu- the local museum in the city. Uh-huh. And they gave it like a small budget. And then we rope in 
um, the electrical company. Which sits there, one of their headquarters is in Khadr. Exactly. And they had more money. And as... A lot more money. A lot more money. And as 16-year-olds, we, we went into their offices with him and pitched this idea of making a movie and got our first funding. That's amazing. Because not only you were taught about animation and entrepreneurship, you were taught about funding money. These are all the essential steps which, which uh, an entrepreneur needs. That's exactly right. And you don't... I think as a kid, you don't really clock that at the time. Mm -hmm. But that's why I think it made such a big difference to my life and my friend's life. We went in slightly different directions, but those key skills for what you need to be able to make stuff happen was already kind of seeded like at a very young age. So we worked on that film for two years and really? we managed a team of... Um, I don't know, 10 kid animators and a lot of kind of painters and sound engineers and stuff like that. They're 16, 17 year olds. Again, learning it all on the go. And was it stop motion or no, it was classic animation? Classical animation. Still the celluloids, you said? Yeah, celluloids. What, what, is, what is that exactly? Um, do, you know, do you remember the old projectors where uh -huh. you put like a clear cell? Okay. With something drawn on and yeah, then yeah, yeah. project it on uh -huh, the wall. Yeah, it's yeah. like this kind of material. But it just like it just basically switches the pictures very fast. And... Well, um, you 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 work on this like medium which is like a plastic clear cell. Um, you make twelve drawings per second. Then okay. you shot every one for like two frames. Every um, uh, every second in cinema is like twenty four twenty four frames on film and twenty five on video, like digital media. Uh -huh. So. We created a lot of drawings, like thousands of drawings with all these people. We painted them, then we put them onto like uh, backgrounds, and we shot it under a camera. And that was the first time I think we used like uh, actual video equipment that could capture like two frames at a time. So that was a big kind of step forward from you know film. So as a 15-year-old kid with all this adrenaline and all these hormones and testosterone, you sat yourself down and actually managed to draw like these draw thousands of these draw I mean how did you find like the you know the quiet to I did karate twice a week I <laughs> Okay. <laughs> so you your did it help there. You? Did it help you with the girls? The karate or the <laughs> or animation? Or animation. Um not the right girls problem. <laughs> <laughs> it did a bit. It, it, it uh -huh. got us like known. I mean, we did like a bit of interviews here and there and papers and stuff. So there yeah. was a slight hype about it. But um, So you got funding from the electric yeah. uh, electricity company and you guys mm -hmm. made this film over the span of two years. And then what was it? It was for the 100th anniversary of Khadera. Yes. And then you guys finally presented it. We finally presented it. It was like... It's not something you could sit through it and watch, you know, it's kind of, it's really very crude. I mean, it's an incredible achievement when you think about what it took to make, but mm -hmm. as an actual bit of filmmaking, it, it lacks. It's wrong. It's very wrong. Real. Yeah, that's very so nice. So you burned all the copies. I haven't, let's say, well, yes, kind of. I mean, I haven't, <laughs> I think, watched it, like, for 30 years. Okay, but, um, guys, we'll post uh, YouTube of it on our, <laughs> yeah. on our Facebook page. Nice. So, okay, so after that, you finished. And then what was your, like, I mean, did you decide to go, did you study animation? Um, I studied animation. So, um, I, we did this, and then I did um, a video clip for Kaveret, the music band, um, when they reunited... That was early 90s. Really? Um, yeah. But before, well, that, again, that was like off my own steam when I was still in high school. And then I joined the army and they they picked up on that. And I think they used it as some promotional material when they kind of reunited. And Danny Sanderson really liked it. And he showed it when he performed in Adera. It was like very strange. Wow. How did they get to it? I did. I think I did a, um, a TV interview, which I was... Um, like in some kids program i can't remember what it was but i remember getting like the day off from the army so we're in, in basic training so that was very a year well invested in high school so i could get a day off in the army like a year later 
for this TV interview. I think they picked up on that. And I thought they were at the 100th anniversary of Hadera, maybe. No. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. I think it was too glamorous for them. Uh, <laughs> but um, so we did that. And that gathered a little momentum, got some prizes. Then when I, in my last year in the army, uh, I was like in a combat unit for two years. And then my last year, I was fed up with that and thought I need to go to get back into animation. And so I managed to persuade, to, 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 to somehow persuade, um, you know, the, the, the general of like the uh, combat unit I was part of to send me back to Strifin, sort of like around Tel Aviv area, um, and to let me run the video department, oh, which wow. I did. And I started doing animation with cells again, like painted cells. So for the army. For the army. So I had like um, soldiers kind of painting like cells, and we shot wow. it on video equipment, which wasn't for animation. But we managed to, so we grabbed like two seconds of every frame, and we managed to cut it down to time. And so we created like a so new... So you were, you were the chief IDF animator. For this like <laughs> one like particular a... unit. But it was like so, again, it was very crude, but it was effective. Even I'm just imagining like a, a really tough drill sergeant and like a bunch of like uh, IDF soldiers with markers and like yelling at them, color that, color that <laughs> yeah. cell yellow. With a whip. Yeah. With a whip. <laughs> It was pretty much like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was like a good, extremely efficient way of doing things. I wish I could still be working like that, but it's just I don't think it's allowed in the real world. Um, so I did a bit of stuff there. So I kept my hand in animation. And then when I finished my army service, I worked in the industry um, as various jobs in the animation industry. Again, a guy... We ran a studio, the only studio, I think, or nearly the only studio in Israel at the time called Duda Shalita. And so I worked for him. And then when that studio shut down, I moved to another company that was doing, uh, it's actually, it was a startup company called mm -hmm. Blaze that got like very, very big afterwards. And they were doing, developing some software that was to compete with Flash. Mm. They lost that competition, but they... Flash they, also lost, so everyone lost. Everyone lost. Well, Flash, I think Flash still exists. We're Flash still, is dead or... Yeah. We're still... Well, it is really <laughs> alive and kicking, funnily enough. Um, and we still work on that for animation. Or really? stuff we do today, yeah, for the... For Fox Baby TV. I, most of the stuff they do... Really? Is, yeah. I, I remember, was sure it's dead. I remember using Flash in high school and, like, making those uh, stick video uh -huh. uh, animations and it was always ridiculous and pointless and a waste of time, to be honest. Because you made stick because, porn as a child. Yeah, I mean, it would, be, it would always be either porn, either two people having sex, or two people killing each other. Like, those are the only two options. I think that pretty much sums up 90% of student films that you see. Yeah. Um, sex and death. Sex and death. You know, I wish. Kind of there that's the basics of life and yeah. but they both ironically kind of looked the same because i was very bad <laughs> at stick you know so it's like you couldn't tell what was stabbing what yeah game of thrones basically <laughs> exactly. with stick man, you know? is it a knife or uh <laughs> <laughs> so okay so you you what, what was your first major uh anim like your first time that you got a project and you were like okay this is now i feel like i'm i'm making a career well not yet um, Not yet. <laughs> it depends how I always look at the stuff I do it's kind of yeah cool what next and kind of it needs to be bigger and more real and kind okay. of but no, I think when at some point working for for the industry here I just felt that it's like I need to go out and get like proper education in animation mm -hmm. because I was self-taught pretty much yeah. until that point do it by the book do it by the book so I moved to Dante in Scotland, of course. <laughs> <laughs> uh -huh. That's what everyone should do. Yeah. Um, the capital of animation. The capital of, that's it. <laughs> How I ended up there, it's a very, um, you know. Um, Please tell us. Well, I was thinking clearly of going to the States or to Canada. Um, and the plane took the wrong turn <laughs> of the, the Atlantic. Um, do you want me to turn on the AC? Yeah, maybe. maybe so it took, it took the wrong turn and uh, you ended up in Scotland? <laughs> well, almost. Um, basically what happened was I looked at how they taught animation in the States. And it was very much, and in Canada, I mean North America in general, was late 90s was very much, we'll turn you 
into a great Disney animator will turn you into a great Warner Brothers animator or something like that. Um, and I never had the draftsmanship to be able to draw like that well. Mm-hmm. And also, having been working on stuff of my own and for so many years since I was a kid, and even in the industry later on, I started creating my own stuff when it was for this startup company called Emblaze. So I wasn't, I, I said, no, I want to do, when, if one day I want to become a Disney animator, then I'll work towards that. But I want to study stuff that'll give me more freedom. And I learn, while I learn the craft, I can still get to do my thing. After you work in the industry, mm-hmm. you want an opportunity to express yourself. Mm-hmm. Something that's purely you. Because um, those schools, they push you to a specific direction. That's what you're saying. Absolutely. They, artistically. Art, art, absolutely, yeah, artistically. They, uh-huh. they say you'll end up with a great portfolio. For Disney. Disney. Uh-huh. Or Warners. I mean, that was like nine, late 90s. I mean, it's a bit, maybe it's a little different now, but overall, that was pretty much the idea. And in the UK, it seemed to be freer and kind of like give you better opportunity to do what you want like more experimental um and so i looked around which schools were available and my wife rona was my girlfriend at the time wanted to do psychology so we needed somewhere to could do both and there was a good college in dundee of all places and we ended up there and one thing led to the next and we found ourselves in scotland for 10 years and i opened an animation studio with a guy um with a very experienced older producer who saw 30 seconds from the film I made for my master's degree. I did two years undergrad. They, they took me in, into third year of uh, mm-hmm. undergrad because I had experience. And so I finished that. And then when I went on to do my master's, I made the film, which was a musical, an animated musical about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict called wow. Promised Land. Yeah, it's not something I show nowadays. I think it's a little too <laughs> contentious. But... Um, he saw 30 seconds of that and he liked it and he produced it and we worked on that for two years. How long was it? Uh, 12 minutes. And he saw 30 seconds of it and he was he like... He saw like 30 it. seconds and he was sold. Wow. He, he had a good eye for kind of like stuff that might work well. He's a very experienced guy. Um, you know, since then he was, he produced a film called like Illusionist, an animated feature that was nominated for an Oscar and Golden Globes and stuff. So it's that big stuff. Wow. Yeah, and so um, we opened, so we made our film over two years, um, working with students from the undergrad course and master's course for free, getting experience working on this film, very similar to what I was doing in high school, yes. just on a slightly bigger, bigger scale. scale. Yeah, mm-hmm. and college was like very supportive of that, and it sort of potential. So that was fantastic, and we got like voice actors like Omid Jalili, is like a famous Iranian stand-up comedian and actor um, in the UK. He's done loads of stuff. He's been on like small part on Gladiator and like other big films, and um, and he did like a brilliant voice performance. And the film, because it was controversial, but it was kind of interesting as well. Kind of got, gathered a lot of attention. Like for on it was on the uh, Channel Four News in the UK and got like a lot of criticism in Israel in the papers for a little short. That's Promised Land. Promise Land. Promised Land. Like the land of promises. Okay. Okay. Very controversial and so a lot of people had a lot to say about it. No, but hardly anyone saw it because it was like it wasn't on YouTube and YouTube. It was part of it was on YouTube later on, but it was taken off because it was too controversial. Right. Really? It was yeah. taken down? It was taken down. I mean, nowadays, you can't find any of it. Um, they had, like, one part that was slightly less. I mean, the message in the end was, you know, we need to find a solution through that, through everything we're going through. Mm-hmm. You know, right. both th- sides are to blame. And I thought it, it would have been, uh, we, all should, we all end up kill, kill each other or something. That's pretty, do you know what? <laughs> the, the movie was pretty much about that. But uh-huh. the very end of it was two old guys, like... Um, a Jew and an Arab playing backgammon mm. and kind of going over. I mean, the the movie was showing a, a CNN, CNN type reporter interviewing 20 year olds 
um, on both sides. So mm -hmm. like an Israeli Arab waiter and then like an Israeli thug on the street, all doing extreme things. And a settler and a 20 year old, uh, you know, Hamas um, mm -hmm. guy and so on. And so it was all extreme, extreme, extreme. And then when you got to the end of it, um, the two old guys just play backgammon and they go like, you know, the media always show you this, the extreme stereotypes because that make good news. Mm -hmm. They never show us. We are so, sort of the silent majority. And they carry on playing backgammon, obviously, and, and they end up arguing about who won the backgammon. Uh -huh. so, but <sighs> they argue about it. They don't fight about it like, uh -huh. with uh -huh. actual force, which all the other guys do that you see on the film. So it ended up with like, is there really a resolution? But hopefully, you know, if you, even if you verbally argue about it, rather than yeah you know kill each other but it was controversial enough to get taken down by um, youtube it yes and by yeah yeah but oh, it was wow. shown a lot in festivals and won a few awards and it, it it did a good festival circuit so at that point there was enough traction for us to open um that you start studio an animation studio in dundee um and we worked on various uh, stuff or like tv commercials some stuff for bbc kind of interesting things um and then the, i i worked on a film for four years that got funding quite a lot of funding from the local cinema fund in scotland and that film we worked on for four years got nowhere um really yeah um writing it started off as a pilot for a young adult uh series and because of the funding, it turned into a short film, which was half hour long, which is way too long for festivals. And as a director, writer, I stood in the wrong direction. I don't think in retrospect, I was like mature enough to do that. And uh -huh. I needed like another writer, say, to work with me and stuff. So anyway, completely cocked it up, as they say in the UK. <laughs> and um, it didn't go anywhere. And as a result... Uh, relationship with my partner, business partner, uh, kind of found uh, themselves in a difficult spot. Um, and I ended up leaving the studio that I started after like about eight years. Mm -hmm. So now what? So now what? Yes. It was like, it was a very scary moment because I was, as you can imagine, very upset. Um, in Scotland. In Scotland. Yeah. Which with a young know, child. Far away from home. Yeah. Yeah. Far away from home. Far away from Khadera. Thank God. Um, <laughs> not far enough. Um, but um, with a young child and sort of career, it feels like down the drain at that point, you know, after spending four years and half a million dollars. How old are you by now? 42 and heading fast towards 43. So I was like early 30s. Um, so basically, I was... Um, I was stuck and the, I, well, I wasn't stuck. I was at the, I thought well, I was at the junk at the very low junction of what do I do next to save my career? Yeah. With thoughts like, is animation the right thing for me <laughs> after I've been doing this since, you know, the yeah. age of 10. What yeah. were the other options? Security. Come back and, uh, work, yeah, yeah, security. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, there were no other options because I can't do anything yeah. <laughs> apart from animation and even that burly. Um, <laughs> You could teach or teach gym. Yeah, <laughs> maybe that was. I was so funny. You know what? That's actually. I've been teaching at the time okay. uh, to universities part time. And I thought, okay, when was the last time I started what I wanted and my stuff was successful? When I was at college. <laughs> so, what do you right. do next? Right. So, what did you do? I um, decided to make a short film called the happy duckling right um about a boy who's been followed by a little duck yes we both saw it okay. saw it because we'll we're serious podcasters of course yeah. you are and we'll we put a link research. it's a great film but oh, tell, tell us about yes. it you did your research that's good yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um basically i pitched the idea to both colleges in dundee both you know, sort of rival colleges, they didn't like each other at all, um, competing for, like, the, you know, the students who were around who wanted to do animation. Um, I pitched the idea to both colleges about how about making a, f a short film 
with like four students from one college and another four from the other as part of their third year degree. So half of the time will be working on my film. Enough of the time will be doing the nonsense that I do on the course, which I'm meaning less and will get them nowhere. That was pretty much my bitch. Yeah. <laughs> Both of the students. Convincing. Uh, conv- yeah. And the students. The end of the, do you know what? At the end of the day, it's blank, but at the end of the day, you only learn when you work on something real. And I think when part of, yes, colleges are important. Sometimes you get valuable stuff out of them, but on yeah. animation, you have to actually do it. No, but it's true. I mean, especially today, there's this like inflation going on. You know, the, mm. I mean, people talk about it, the academic inflation. But I was watching a video today on on uh, Facebook uh, for Michlelet Akineret, uh-huh. yeah. right? The, the Kineret, Kineret uh, college. college. And the guy was talking about how the people should come and study behavioral sciences there and, and get a bachelor's degree. And the bachelor's degree is a great degree because it will help you prepare yourself for a master's in <laughs> this field, in this field, in this field. And I'm also like, what? Really? College. Yeah. <laughs> like that is what, that's how they sell it though. I mean, it's, I mean, get a first degree and then you'll get a second degree and then maybe a third and then the fourth and stay in the academia. When will we actually start working? Yeah. yeah. So you, you actually worked with these kids. Yeah. So, um, but what was the idea that you pitched? Okay, so the idea was, to be honest, that in September, my idea was one thing. And then by December, I realized with some help um, from that partner we didn't go, I didn't get on very well with at the time, that this idea is going nowhere, it's too long. And because I left the studio around that point in time, it was pretty much, it's time to leave Scotland and go back to Israel. Um, so I needed something from uh-huh. December till the end of the academic year, which is in May in, in the UK, a film I could finish in that period of time that will kickstart my career. To re-leverage it. Yeah. Um, so in December, after these guys been working with me on one film for four months, I came to them one morning and said, I stayed up until like, when I decided to leave the studio, literally that night, I stayed up until like, you know, middle of the night lying in bed, going through all the little ideas I had of hoping to find something Mm -hmm. that could be turned into a short film that will work for the festivals and, you know, restart my career. Um, And so I I remember this picture my wife brought home from about six months before that. And it had a guy being followed by a cat, a dog, a duck and something else. And I, and I remember that at that time I thought, ooh, a duck that adopts a boy and follows him everywhere. That was pretty much it. Um, so I, I following morning, I pitched to those um, students the idea of, you know, a duck being followed by this, uh, a kid being followed by this duck. It wasn't pop-up yet. Totally aplatonic, by the way. Totally aplatonic. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I chatted to it to a couple of really good friends of mine from my studio that I left in Scotland and one of the guys said I described it to them and I said like you know it's going to be a flat 2D style in the 3D world and you'll do this and that and he said oh the, the pop-up film you always wanted to make and you know Ratatouille the Pixar film do you mm-hmm. remember the moment where yeah. he's standing at like his mother's sort of like the the, fo- the food critic he stands at his like mom's doorway when he's a child and the, the camera zooms out like that sort of effect and yeah, he suddenly yeah. remembers the ratatouille she used to make him as a kid because tasting that dish it's like this moment of epiphany and you kind of suddenly kind of have like oh my god i know what i'm doing that line this guy said to me repeated let's emphasize this because i think it's important he said oh now you can make the pop-up film you always wanted and because years before that, I was talking about something like that. But and you didn't, f- you, you forgot about it by I now. I forgot, that I completely forgot about it. And, and I was describing something to him that wasn't quite pop-up. And I wasn't thinking like specifically pop-up, but he saw, he thought, interpreted what I say in a way that for him was really clear the idea from years ago that we worked on together. Just to be clear, what did he mean or what did you mean by pop-up? Pop-up books. So when he said that, I literally saw in front of my eyes pop-up books opening, page sort of standing up, characters moving, little things popping up every with every turn of a page. And when you open a flap, it's like new surprises. Secrets and... and 
Mazes. Yes, unfold in unfold front of in your front eyes. Of, which for us, uh, still, fortunately, it's a thing. Like when you it was see that, yeah, it was a. Th it's still a thing because it's in your head. It's, yeah, yeah. It remained with you from your childhood. I'm not sure if today kids still mm. are familiarized with that, but that's that's beautiful. That's a beautiful concept, I think, for the film. Thank you very much. I mean, for me, as soon as that thing clicked, everything was clear. I was on from like being scared shitless from what do I do next? I had a clear path and vision for what needs to be done over the next six months. And that's what happened. And we worked very, very hard. The students and I, we brainstormed idea. I wrote the script and created like the storyboards, which is basically like the visual roadmap for how the film is going to be made. Mm-hmm. And reworked it and reworked it as we were animating and designing. Was it your first project for kids? Yes. My Which mom, is also interesting. It is. Do you know, um, my mom been kind of pestering me for years before that, going, oh, do something for kids, something for kids, <laughs> but there's money in, in something for kids and stuff like that. Um, oh, and mom, I, come oh, on. Mom, exactly, yeah. And it's Leave kind me of like, be. <laughs> it's like... How many films have you created? Dude, what do you know about animation and stuff like that? But she always wanted what's best for me, and she knew, and but she it took me time. Eventually, to was right. Yeah. She eventually was. I hate to say it, but she eventually <laughs> was right. As all we two schmubs are. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, I was a young dad at the time. My daughter was about like, maybe one, one and a half, something like that. So definitely reading her books. And thinking about like life from a child's perspective suddenly changes. You don't want to make controversial animated musicals about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. You do want to do stuff that resonate with your own kid. Yes. And other kids. And so I worked on that and it was, it was a wonderful experience and the students were fantastic. The, the first time ever they were actually animated on anything, it was on this film. And we finished it. Um, when it was, and it was very successful in, in film festivals and it won a lot of awards and got attention. And I finished it three days before I moved, before we moved back to Israel as a family. I already knew that I had a job at a company called Privis um, with a pair of wonderful guys called uh, Ronan Shani and Erez Gavish. And as the head of development for their company, um, so following week we landed in Israel I went to see them a week before I, st I actually started so what's the first thing I do I kind of show them this film and what do you think because I had thoughts about like you know maybe this can be turned into something kind of more it wasn't successful yet no one has seen it because it was like three, literally like three four days after the actual film was done right. they saw the potential straight away um, and as a company decided to invest in uh, turning this into uh, a preschool show for kids. Was that a thing that company did? The company had already developed under Ronan's uh, sort of leadership um, content for for very young kids, for uh -huh. uh, Fox Baby TV, which is an international channel uh -huh. that operates from Israel, but broadcasts all over the world. Um, and he wanted to to grow that area of kids' content and animated co uh, narrative content in general. Um, so they saw the potential of that, but that was the big, big step, you know, in kind of like everyone's ambition. Um, so we reached out um, he felt very rightly so that we needed someone with the experience of working on kind of bigger kid stuff. We reached out to Yvette Kaplan, who's a dear friend, and she worked on, um, she was supervising director on Beavis and Butthead mm -hmm. and the feature, and she was editor of Story on Ice Age and done like a load of like amazing stuff. She's LA based. Um, and I met her in Scotland about like a year and a half before that. So there was a connection. And one of the first people I sent the movie to when I finished it, The Happy Duckling, was to her to get like, what do you think? And she loved it. So when Ronan said like, who can we get to help develop this? You know, she was like the first person. And she happened to be available and interested. So I found myself 
um, working very late nights, uh, writing like a show concept, like the what we call the Bible, for this show called back then Quick Work Duck about a, a boy and a duck in a pop-up world, which is based on the short film from Scotland. Um, and then, like you know, with Ronan and Erez, we um, we developed and designed it and created like a really great Bible. That when you um, normally what you do with shows, you take them to like a big international market and you pitch it to broadcasters. Yeah, the Bible is an actual book. It's an actual that book. you give for people to read and get exposed to your project. That's exactly that, and that one was really beautifully designed. And when you opened it, the first page popped up. Oh, no. <laughs> with a boy in the dark so straight away you know it's a no-brainer you see it you get what this thing is going to be like and it had a very unique style that's ingenious and it was ronan's idea it wasn't mine but it was like ah you know <laughs> one of those but of course um so and we took it to the biggest um tv market called um mipcom it's yes. in Cannes. Uh, in 2009 after developing the show for about nine months and it it was an instant uh, what, what, in what is tele developing the show? I mean, you took just the Bible or did you guys have footage of, you know... The, we had a Bible which describes the character, the concept of the world. It and opens into a, into a... What do you need? A <laughs> it's book. a pop-up yeah. book Bible. <laughs> <laughs> Who needs to, to animate anything? Where's the checks? <laughs> yes, exactly. Like, well, I wish, but like, yes, exactly. Um, <laughs> it's just, I have these billionaire investors pulling on flaps and they're like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> How much money do you want? <laughs> <laughs> it was exactly like that. Just add about three years and no checkbooks and, and less money. Um <laughs> Um, <laughs> so you guys are at MIPCOM and then we were at MIPCOM we showed it around um, it was very very strong reactions I mean we used footage from the short film uh -huh. mm -hmm. and we intercut it with uh, winner of winner of because it had all the festivals some at least most of the festivals awards by then it won the Scottish BAFTA it was nominated for the British BAFTA so for short oh, wow. film it's kind of done well um, so two very big companies kind of liked it and uh, and BBC responded with interest. Um, so we ended up partnering with uh, what is now Zodiac Media, mm -hmm. which is a big European broadcast uh, distributor. Um, and before that, uh, CBBS, which is like the preschool channel of BBC, mm -hmm. said they'll put money um, and actually pre-buy the show, which was the first time an Israeli original school, um, kids property was pre-bought by a major international uh, broadcaster right. when you see i mean when homeland saw the rights and in treatment and all those sort of concepts Fauda. Fauda, great amazing properties they were sold after there was an israeli show which is easier it is you know well, well so it, you, if, oh, if you're good exactly it's easier because you've got something to show. Yes. So, Plus risk for the buyer. Exactly. So on this one, you can't, obviously, you don't have the money to make a show and show them. So what we had to do, um, so we showed them what we had and they pre-bought it. Um, but the problem is BBC pre-bought it for about 10% of the total budget, um, which you're talking about in kids stuff, you're talking about around $10 million for making like 52 11 minute episodes right so you still need to find like 90% of your budget for something. by the way the, the age you were uh, pointing at the age three to six year olds preschool pre okay preschool yeah so they put 10% down and then you need to find the other 90% that's but the way it, it still belongs to them well they have the rights I mean every broadcast it depends on the deal but generally the broadcasters have the right to uh, show it in the territory exclusively exclude depends on the broadcaster yeah. but most of the time exclusively for a period of time and sometimes they get a cut out mm -hmm. of but know. shouldn't it be easier for you to raise money if you can show that the bbc put oh money? absolutely yes yeah what happened was two <laughs> years went by and we um with zodiac we tried to find the right partners and people to put enough money and nickelodeon came on board which meant we couldn't give it to BBC in the UK because Nickelodeon took it globally. Uh -huh. So that kind of vote, great vote of confidence by the BBC, which was wonderful and we're, we'll forever be grateful to them and want to sell them other shows. We had to actually do 
uh, not had had to do something stupid, but we had to let regrettably um, let BBC go. Yeah, and go with Nickelodeon, which is a huge, enormous channel, and offered us like yeah, you, you know, can a global... it just sounds like rich people problems. It's yeah, like, I mean it's uh, a global, <laughs> it's mean, a global deal. Yeah, yeah. No, you know, if if uh, you're closing a deal with uh, I don't know. Uh, this nice little uh, uh, seed money, uh-huh. but then Bill Gates come to you and says, "You know what? Come to me. Come yeah, to me, yeah, sure. <laughs> exactly. Then you go with, with Bill like Gates. Sounds like good two options to have, is what I'm saying. Yeah, but th- not, but both were incompatible with each other. Yeah. So you yeah, had yeah. to, yeah. So Nickelodeon Arena, that's yeah. Amazing. So that was like that was the first time I personally, and I think we all went like. Oh, BBC was first time we went like, oh wow, this is serious. And mm-hmm. then Nickelodeon went like, oh, yes, well, this is becoming a reality. Yeah. This is what I wanted to make, you know, this kind of like big stuff that will reach like, you know, tens, hundreds of millions of audiences yeah. around the world suddenly happening. And you're almost 40 by then. Yeah. Which, yeah. which is nice because it gives hope to us, you know. You can, <laughs> but you got to put the work in before. Oh, right. You, you guys know? are like, <laughs> have so much time, I think, before you're 40 to do like, like big, big stuff. It is cool, though, at 40 to, to reinvent yourself with a huge success story, um, I think. It's very cool, very inspiring. Thank you. Um, we were inspired by it, and we worked extremely hard to make this show, and we made like 52 11s. We managed most of the stuff from Tel Aviv. Uh, we did a writing in the UK and the US, but all the direction, we were involved, obviously. But wait. Yes. Where do the Koreans come in? Ah! <laughs> well, uh, the, the other 40% that Nickelodeon didn't put in. Um, <laughs> that's the Koreans. And that was an interesting sort of experience traumatic um <laughs> let me just say that season two kimchi. was too made much not, not the first time people have said that about the koreans look they're wonderful people we when we're we talking were, no, uh, uh, south korea north south korea. korea oh yeah god yeah, no just yeah south korea um <laughs> i mean it'd be interesting to work in north korea I'm sure the work ethics <laughs> must a, be like extremely <laughs> good i think um, the content will be a little different too the content might be a little <laughs> different um so what happened you got 60 percent from nickelodeon then you had to raise another 40%. And we got that from Korea. Yeah, and there was like Zodiac as the distributor, put like money, and it's kind of it's complicated, but you sort of make this spot from broadcaster, Nickelodeon, a few other broadcasters, mm. Zodiac, and then 40% from the Koreans, more or less. But I, I, if I remember from the lecture of yours that I uh-huh. saw a year ago, I'm a, if I'm not mistaken, that money was actually governmental? Yes. Korean money. Can yeah. you tell us about it? It's fascinating. They basically, it's a governmental company who runs and owns a big holiday ski resort with the biggest grossing casino and the only one, I think, with, um, you know, um, the license to operate in Korea in some remote part of Korea that they wanted to, you know, to revamp the area. So they kind of put, they, they put money in, they gave them the license to run a casino, they made a lot of money from the casino and they went like, okay... Media business, animation, that makes sense. Someone came up with that, that, one, <laughs> with that one day. Let me tell you, this company does not exist anymore. Like that, the, the, the animation arm of that company doesn't exist. Because of you? Yes. <laughs> Because they realized animation, you need to learn, you need to do over time. You can't just like throw people at it. Yeah, it's not casino business. It's not casino business. <laughs> it, it needs like a lot of TLC to get right. And you don't see results like straight away financial results right. straight away it takes time right i don't think that the patients they didn't have the skill the managerial financial skills to do it properly they brought in a lot of talented animators but like the overall you know the overarching our umbrella of like good management that can run an animation studio was lacking but you got the money what was the condition um that we do 40 of the work in korea which meant all the animation in korea Um, and they did great animation, but there were like challenges like um, they couldn't handle that volume of, of animation because they were new. It's a studio that only kind of really started for this project. They had very little experience before that. So they outsourced the, the animation, the, like some of the episodes to other Korean studios. 
So you work with them and then there's like another third party that reports to them that you never see and the quality of their work isn't necessarily what you're looking for. So it's like retakes on retakes. So if you get like an, epi an episode animated, I'm talking just about the animation part in like five weeks with them or six weeks, it took six months with like, you know, some of the other companies they brought on board that weren't up to the standard that we needed. And then you were beyond the deadline? They were beyond budget. And no, we met the deadline. We delivered on time to Nickelodeon. They were extremely happy. The show did well in terms of ratings and everything. But it was a struggle. It with, the, with the Koreans. You yes. had to go there. We went there. Uh, yeah, a few, I was there once. Then Ronan and Erez. Ronan is the, if I haven't said before, is, is the CEO of the company and the executive producer. And Erez is the art director. Did you feel like culture differences? And... <laughs> Yeah, big okay. wolf god. Yes, it's what, like what, it's like like describe this to us the experience. It's extremely hierarchical. Hierarch how do you say it? Hierarchical. Thank you. <laughs> I <like> think. <laughs> you right. The hierarchy in Korea is the kind it's you don't speak directly to, you know, the animators and stuff. You go through the supervisor and you need to shake hands even in a certain order. And they grab you to pull you by the arm. They go like, no, this guy, no, this guy, no, this guy. So you don't offend anyone. So it's kind of like, there's like a protocol mm -hmm. for everything. And they didn't speak English. So on calls that could take like 20 minutes, they ended up taking like three hours because someone needed to translate every single thing. When he asked them a question, they, instead of answering, they discuss between them in Korea and they respond with their own question. And, I mean, again, I've, I, it's like a cultural difference. I'm not saying that, like, we are better than them or they are better than us. But it was very difficult to make a show like this when you kind of speak in different languages, not just like actual spoken language, but like Culturally. cultural one as well. It was tricky, but we ended up with a great looking show, but it cost more and uh, it took a lot more effort. It was very, very difficult. And was this still the 52 episodes? 52 11s. Second season, we produced with a Singapore-Indonesian um, company. Oh. And that was a breeze. Oh, really? Yeah, everyone spoke English, fast turnaround. They're called Infinite Frameworks. Fantastic. Like, you know, very quick and, and amazing quality, so very us, cheap. Tell us a little bit about the response to the show. Um, so it ranked really well on uh, Nick Jr. US um, and I think it was like overall during the season it was like the number eight show when you're competing against like Dior, uh, Dora and Diego and Paw Patrol and stuff like that and Peppa Pig whatever. So number it, eight. Number eight and I think at some point it was number five so that was like very solid numbers and it did like you know across the world, in other countries when it premiered. It How many countries did you... Oh, God, I think it was more than 100 countries. Wow. It was the world... And dubbed. dubbed and dubbed all. into, like, anything from Korean to English Yiddish? to... No. I don't think we had a, a Yiddish version, but we had two <laughs> Gaelic versions. One, like, Scottish Gaelic and, <laughs> and, and Irish Gaelic. Which is, you, you call the circle. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> Very weird. Not that I could speak, like, a word in Gaelic, but... And so that was very funny. Um, but it was like over 20 languages and a lot, a lot of kids who saw it wow. everywhere. And the nicest thing was for us to see like birthday cakes from kids from all over the world kind of posted on our Facebook, on the Zach and Quack Facebook page. So you see, when you see a kid having his Zach and Quack birthday cake, you go like, yes, this is it. Because... It means something to you then. Real you know? emotional connec connection. That's it. Yeah, yeah. A real emotional connection. Something it becomes part of their childhood, yeah. 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 They're going to look like back. Like us and Karate yeah. Kid. Yeah. And Karate Kid, exactly. <laughs> wax kid. on, wax off. Yes. <laughs> and what about um, making a living out of this profession? Mm. I wouldn't advise. Um, <laughs> it's. I think now it's fine. Um you know, still with like a global Nickelodeon show, two seasons. You can't retire. I can't at all retire. Mm -hmm. Still renting. Um, but it was good. It was a great step forward. 
Um, you do, it takes animation is a tough business. I mean, if you have a good, if you're a really good animator and you work for the major studios uh, abroad, you'll make like mainly you know Disney, Pixar, Warner's. I should have done that back in like '98, yeah. maybe. <laughs> um, then you make good money, I think. Oh, and you do like other kind of jobs. It that so many jobs nowadays in animation, like with 3D animation, with like lighting and rendering, modeling, and rigging. You name it. Um, it's not always that easy to make a living. Um, and making you, if you want to make your own stuff in animation, pff, that's bloody almost like nearly impossible. It's a battle. Okay. It's worth it, but it's a battle. So I won't go into animation. I, nah. no. Well, Although you know, now in Israel, it's it's a it's, thing. It's a booming. It's industry. becoming a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and with in Betzalel, and I I just saw there's a movie now by Tal Cantor that's going uh, all around the world. Mm. Uh, short animation that yeah. she did by herself, and so many stories about people who do their own shorts. Now it's I think it's a little bit easier than it was at your time. Technologically, technologically yeah. for sure. Yeah. So and the animation and the world is hungry for it. It seems the, you know so many film festivals, so many there's a, so many awards, so many scholarships, etc. So I think a lot of opportunities. Yeah. The, the trickiness is there's a lot of content as well. Yeah. So when you go to the market with like a new project to pitch. You are competing against of like hundreds, if not thousands, of different formats, and you need to end up one of like the top five or top ten if you are really lucky. But then even top ten, you won't secure like the key broadcasters. So it's such a difficult, uh, it's it's such a big problem securing funding right and broadcasters and everything you need. It takes years. But maybe before we go, what is the the thing about animation? that attracts both child and grown-ups so strongly so mm. immensely what is it you think or to you i so it's a great question i'm not sure i've got like a good answer for it but i it opens a window i mean as a child it opened a window to me two worlds that didn't exist And could only exist in animation. You know, great animation is... You see stuff that you can't see in real life. And that fantastical element of it, not necessarily fantasy, but fantastical element of something that, like, wow, you know, kind of... I remember as a grown-up watching... Uh, maybe I was a bit about 20, and obviously I was very much into animation, but watching Beauty and the Beast for the first time, like the 2D one, I haven't seen the new one, but... And just like, you know, we go into the forest and we get the narrator sort of going, once upon a time, in a faraway land. And you go, for me, it's like, you sucked into that moment. If It's like that moment when I had with the Appy Duckling, do it as a pop-up. Suddenly you see worlds literally unfold. Mm -hmm. That, for me, is animation. And now animation is so powerful that every film you watch, even if it's like a complete drama Um, you know, it's live action, nothing to do with animation. There are loads, normally a lot of animated elements in it that you don't even realize are animated. And I think the world animation creates nowadays is becoming more real that you can't even separate animation from real life. And I remember, like, contrast to Beauty and the Beast, I remember watching Jurassic Park when it first mm -hmm. came out. And I was going like, if it feels so real... I don't mind it not being real. It's real enough for me. I can live in it. Do you know what? Do you know what, mm -hmm. yeah. what I mean? I want to lose myself in something like that. And I think that's the charm of animation. I think it, it crosses definitely nowadays, like with the amazing stuff that Pixar and Disney do and other studios. It's just like it's, it speaks to all ages. It's culturally um, more powerful more acceptable to everyone because it's not always as specific and nuanced as like live action you can find yourself in it you can identify yourself in what you see in, on screen quite easily and i think as an adult watching animation with my kids i've got a four-year-old and an 11-year-old when you watch it with them and through their eyes it's a completely different experience and uh, another world kind of it's it's really beautiful it's All right. That was inspiring. 
<laughs> Thank you. Um, it's beautiful. It was beautiful. Good luck. Thank you. And um Thank you so much. Just create. Us. Create some more good stuff for us, for everyone. Thank uh, you. I can I can I just like one last thing of say course. that I'm obviously I'm working um at a company called Candy Bear. Okay. Um and we produce animation. We continue to produce animation with Nickelodeon and uh Fox Baby TV and a lot of other sort of clients. So there were and we developed new content. Okay. This we're hoping to say. You guys have a website? We do. It needs more work. But okay. <laughs> it's it's blaircandybear.com. <laughs> okay, we'll pull a link to it. Thank you. Um, so the idea is to produce new, exciting content for kids. And you guys upload it to the website? There's stuff up there. Yeah, there is. What? Do you mean... Um, like you're producing content for television. We are producing content for television. Ah, okay. um, there are some you know, references to it on the website. But obviously, until you sell it, you don't put it on. Sure. Until it's in production. And you operate in Israel. We operate in Tel Aviv. In Tel Aviv. That's and great. make work for you know, the world over. That's the aspiration. Amazing. Great. Good luck with Thank that. Thank you, Gilly. Thank you, guys. Eitan. Thanks for having me. See, See you, you next, next week. week. Bye.